In keeping with something I hope I'm going to find in the book Wanderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit, I'm going to read some of the book as I walk through this wood with my dog. Now, I haven't read enough, in fact, I've read very little of this book, Wanderlust, to know whether she writes at all about walking with dogs and, or, and certainly covers, I don't know whether she covers anything to do with the, what would you call it, the ethnomethodology of, <laughs> of dog walking or the sociology of dog walking or the anthropology of dog walking. But I'm going to have a go at reading from the book and at the very least the rhythm of walking will be reflected in the reading of walking. Wanderlust, A History of Walking Read as I'm walking along in Moanbawn Wood. And part one of the entire book, after the introduction, is called The Pace of Thoughts. The Pace of Thoughts. That gives me the impression there's going to be a bit about the thinking of people. Anyway, the first uh, chapter is called Tracing a Headland, an Introduction. So here goes. Where does it start? Muscles tense, one leg a pillar holding the body upright between the earth and sky. The other a pendulum swinging from behind. Heel touches down, the whole weight of the body rolls forward into the ball of the feet. The big toe pushes off and the delicately balanced weight of the body shifts again. The legs reverse position. It starts with a step, and then another step, and then another, that add up like taps on a drum to a rhythm. The rhythm of walking. The most obvious and the most obscure thing in the world, this walking that wanders so readily into religion, philosophy, landscape, urban policy, anatomy, allegory, and heartbreak. Wow. <laughs> this book doesn't pull its punches, does it? The history of walking is an unwritten... Here, Louis, we go this way. Secret history whose fragments can be found in a thousand unempathic passages in books, as well as in songs, streets, and almost everyone's adventures. The bodily history of walking is that of bipedal evolution and human anatomy. Most of the time walking is merely practical. Is this a practical walk? Yes, it's got a practical element. The dog needs, uh, needs exercise. It also has a practical element, is 
that would you call it practical? My knees are not good and this will help my knees. Anyway, let's read on. The unconsidered locomotive means between two sites. Okay. To make walking into an investigation, a ritual, a meditation is a special subset of walking. Physiologically like and philosophically unlike the way a mail carrier brings the mail and the office worker reaches the train. Which is to say that the subject of walking is, in some sense, about how we invest universal acts with particular meanings, like eating or breathing. It can be invested with wildly different cultural meanings, from the exotic to the spiritual, from the revolutionary to the artistic. I love that word, invested. Meaning being invested. Hmm. I'll read on. Here, the history begins to become part of the history of the imagination and the culture of what kind of pleasure, freedom, and meaning are pursued at different times by different kinds of walks and walkers. The imagination has both shaped and been shaped by the spaces it passes through on two feet. Walking has created paths, roads, trade routes, generated local and cross-continental senses of place, shaped cities, parks, generated maps, guidebooks, gear, and further afield a vast library of walking stories and poems of pilgrimages, mountaineering exhibitions, meanders, and summer picnics. The landscape, urban and rural, gestate the stories, and the stories bring us back to the sites of this history. Oh, wow. Okay, I don't mind admitting that this is my kind of language and my kind of writing. The sentences are a bit long for me. I'd love some really short ones, but thrown in. I mean, I don't, I'm not uh, obsessive when it comes to literary styles, but my goodness, she's great at listing. And in a ridiculous way, the spirit of her book reminds me of the spirit of another author, an author who I admire more than, or whom I admire more than, I was going to say more than anybody else, but there is no author whom I admire more than Walt Whitman. So there we are. So this is this Whitman, Whitman-esque? Well, we'll see. I'll just read a little, a little bit more in this segment. The history of walking is an amateur history, just as walking is an amateur act. I'm not sure it's always an amateur act. When military forces go to war, the people get paid, and that's hardly amateur. Anyway, I don't want to get involved in too much of an argument. That'll hold back the reading. To use a walking metaphor, it trespasses through everyone else's field. 
through anatomy, anthropology, architecture, gardening, geogra geography, political and cultural history, literature, sexuality, religious studies, and doesn't stop in any one of them on its long route. For if a field of experience can be imagined as a real field, a nice rectangular confine carefully tilled and yielding a specific crop, then the subject of walking resembles walking itself in its lack of confines. And through the history of walking, sorry, and though the history of walking is, as part of all these fields and everyone's experience, virtually infinite, the history of walking, I'm writing, can only be partial. An idiosyncratic path traced through them by one walker with much doubling back and looking around. Yeah, that's what I'm doing, doubling back with my interruptions. Great to find a stream on a walk. In what follows, I have tried to trace the paths that brought, brought most of us in my country, the United States, into the present moment. A history compounded largely of European sources, infected and subverted by the vastly different scale of American space. The centuries of adaptation and mutation here and by the other traditions that have recently met up uh, with those paths. Notably, Asian traditions. The history of walking is every one's history, and any written version can only hope to indicate some of the more trodden, more well-trodden paths in the author's vicinity, which is to say the paths I trace are not the only paths. Close the book and walk on. There's more to this reading of a book about walking than I imagined at the beginning or than I envisaged, which is a better word, imagined or envisaged. Well, they're both good words. Envisaged, imagines, both three syllables. Yeah. Thought would be the other one. More than I thought at the beginning. Maybe that's a better word for what I'm doing, thinking as I walk. I haven't yet started to really imagine myself in the ranks of Napoleon's army marching on Moscow. are in the ranks of the 50 kilometer walker from Azerbaijan who stumbled in in second last place in the last Olympics. Now, that would be an imagination because I have absolutely no idea whether any walker from Azerbaijan even entered the Olympics let alone got second last. And I have absolutely no idea who got last. So there. 
I have to say, so far so good. I am motivated to continue. One of the most popular forms of walking that I know of is walking around the kitchen, doing various things. So continuing wander lust, a history of walking, I'm going to walk around the kitchen reading the book, picking up from the last sentence, which is the history of walking is everyone's history, and any written version can only hope to indicate some of the more well-trodden paths in the author's vicinity which is to say the paths I trace are not the only paths. I sat down one spring day to write about walking and stood up again because a desk is no place to think on the large scale. In a headland just north of the Golden Gate Bridge, studded with abandoned military fortifications, I went out walking up a valley and along a ridge line, then down to the Pacific. Spring had come after an unusually wet winter, and the hills had turned that riotous, exuberant green I forget and rediscover every year. Through the new growth poked grass from the year before, bleached from summer gold to an ashen grey by the rain, part of the subtler palette of the rest of the year. Henry David Thoreau, who walked more vigorously than me on the other side of the continent, wrote of the local, an absolutely new prospect is a great happiness. And I can still get this any afternoon. Two or three hours walking will carry me to as strange a country as I expect ever to see. A single farmhouse, which I had not seen before, is sometimes as good as the dominions of the king of Dahomey. There is, in fact, a sort of harmony discoverable between the capabilities of the landscape within a circle of ten miles radius or the limits of an afternoon walk and the three score years and ten of human life. It will never become quite familiar to you. End quote. These linked paths and roads form a circuit of about six miles that I began hiking ten years ago to walk off my angst during a difficult year. I kept coming back to this route for respite from my work and for my work too, because thinking is generally thought of as doing nothing in a production-oriented culture, and doing nothing is hard to do. It's best done by disguising it as something else, and the something closest to doing nothing is walking. And the something closest to doing nothing is walking. I love that. I must just underline it. I'll just find it here a second. The, uh, there it is. The 
something closest to doing nothing is walking. Right? And in my style, I give three ticks in the margins of the book to that. Walking itself is the intentional act closest to the unwilled rhythms of the body, to breathing and the beating of the heart. It strikes a delicate balance between working and idling, being and doing. It is a bodily labor that produces nothing but thoughts, experiences, arrivals. After all those years of walking to work out other things, it made sense to come back to walk close to home in Thoreau's sense and to think about walking. Walking, ideally, is a state in which the mind and body and the world are aligned as though they were three characters finally in conversation together, three notes suddenly making a chord. Walking allows us to be in our bodies and in the world without being made busy by them. It leaves us free to think without being wholly lost in our thoughts. I wasn't sure whether I was too soon or too late for the purple lupin that can be so spectacular in these headlands, but milkmaids were growing on the shady side of the road on the way to the trail, and they recalled the headsides of my the, the hillsides of my childhood that first bloomed every year with an extravagance of these white flowers. Black butterflies fluttered around me, tossed along by wind and wings, and they called up another era of my past. Moving on foot seems to make it easier to move in time. The mind wanders from plans to recollections to observations. The mind wanders from plans to recollections to observations. The rhythm of walking generates a kind of rhythm of thinking and the passage through a landscape echoes or stimulates the passage through a series of thoughts. This creates an odd consonance between internal and external passage, one that suggests that the mind is also a landscape of sorts and that walking is one way to traverse it. A new thought often seems like a feature of the landscape that was there all along as though thinking were travelling rather than making. And so one aspect of the history of walking is the history of thinking made concrete. And so one aspect of the history of walking is the history of thinking made concrete. For the motions of the mind cannot be traced, but those of the feet can. Oh, God, for the motions of the mind cannot be traced, but those of the feet can. I'm sure you're, well, if, in listening to this, you can make up your own mind which bits, of, of course, that you fancy, but I might as well <laughs> be open about the bits that, that, that absolutely blow me. Walking can also be imagined as a visual activity. Every walk a tour leisurely enough both to see and to think over the sights, to assimilate the new into the known. Perhaps this is where walking's 
peculiar utility for thinkers comes from. The surprises, liberations and clarifications of travel can sometimes be garnered by going around the block as well as going around the world. And walking travels both near and far, or perhaps walking should be called movement, not travel. For one can walk in circles or travel around the world immobilized on a seat and a certain kind of wanderlust can only be assuaged by the acts of the body itself in motion, not the motion of the car, boat or plane. It is the movements as well as the sights going by that seem to make things happen in the mind. And this is what makes walking ambiguous and endlessly fertile. It is both means and end, travel and destination. I think it's time to pause and sit down on the edge of a bed. I've been walking around the house and a little into the garden while I've been reading you this. But inside the house, the light has varied between strong light in the kitchen and parts of the kitchen and uh, very, very dim lights in part of the other part of the house, which has made reading a little bit less fluent than it might otherwise have been. But let's pause there. Let's, uh, and I read back, for the motions of the mind cannot be traced, but those of the feet can. And again, the something closest to doing nothing is walking. Right, so, there's plenty more in this first chapter. There's plenty more. And I am indeed motivated to read on. I often skim books and just read the beginning and the end. I'm not predicting what I'm going to do here. What I'm going to do is to mark that on the 16th of July, 2018, I read this to here in the book. The history of walking will resume again soon. <laughs>